All right, good morning. Let's open our Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 3. Our text is Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Our topic... (laughs) No, it's a... You didn't do anything. Our topic, Peter tells the lame man to look at him. He's healed and he begins walking and leaping and praising God. The title of our message, Look Before You Leap. Verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer. It was the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. And so he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let's pray together. Now, Father, we thank you so much for the healing in this man's life, and we also want to understand, Lord, how it pertains to us today, not just in the area of divine healing as a subject, Lord, but in terms of you as our healer and the things that you wish to do in our hearts and in our midst and in the lives of others, Lord, that we encounter. Bless us with a sense of your presence. May your Holy Spirit be our teacher. We ask these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. So here was this picture, really, the the gate that was called Beautiful, this fantastic eastern gate opening into the temple. And every day laid there at certain times when the Jews would come in for prayer or to offer sacrifice would be this representative, really, of humanity, this crippled man, born crippled, it says later on in the text, he'd been a cripple for over 40 years. And so it's a stunning contrast, really. All that was precious and beautiful about God represented through this temple and the worship of God and then this man. And I'm sure more than one person struggled with the thing that we struggle with often or uh, certainly have thought about, and that is the problem of pain, the problem of suffering. What kind of a God would allow these things to go on? And yet the Lord brings it into sharp contrast for us. He's the one that brings it before us. He says to us this morning, I want you to see this lame man, this crippled man sitting outside of the temple, outside of this beautiful gate. There's a spiritual symbolism in it, and I'm sure you see it. It's not difficult. The man at the gate was physically lame from birth, and he could not approach the Lord in worship. Mankind is spiritually lame from birth. We cannot, on our own, approach God in worship. All men and women are lame spiritual beggars. It is only through an encounter with Jesus Christ that we are enabled to walk with him. 
Now that Jesus has ascended into heaven, he encounters lame men and women through his church on earth. Believers are his body on the earth. We are his members who speak about him and reach out to the lame to heal them for eternity. I'll organize our thoughts this morning around two points. Number one, Jesus Jesus shows you just how lame people are. And number two, you show people just how loving the Lord is. First of all, in verses one through three, Jesus shows you just how lame people are. I'm not talking about your boss at work or anything like that. I'm talking about in a spiritual sense. Hopefully none of you use this terrible slang. You would never say that anybody was lame. But anyway, we're not sure how much time elapsed between the events of chapter two and those of chapter three. A few days, maybe a few weeks, we just don't know. A lot of miraculous things were occurring. In chapter two, we learned that many miraculous signs and wonders were being done by the apostles. If the healing of the lame man is typical of them, then the miracles were occurring in the everyday encounters of the apostles. Walking about, going through their day, the Holy Spirit gave them a sensitivity to people. Peter, in in our text here, we see was just walking to the time of prayer when he fixed his gaze on this lame man, obviously prompted to do so by the Holy Spirit. And, And so the beginning of our understanding of this text this morning is that we should be asking for the Holy Spirit to give us a new sensitivity to our surroundings and then be willing to do what he says. Uh, That would be the simple place to start, to realize that as we go through our day, there may be encounters that the Lord has set up for us, appointments that he's made for us that we don't see on our calendar, but that are on his spiritual calendar, but they require a certain quietness of heart and a sensitivity of heart so that we can be led to look at certain individuals, talk to them, or at least pray for them throughout the day. Now, each day, the apostles continued to go to the temple. Each time they went, they would pass by this lame man for days or weeks. We don't know how long. There he was in his regular spot. In fact, Jesus must have passed by him at least several times during the last days before the crucifixion and maybe many times during the three and a half years of his earthly ministry when he would visit Jerusalem. I mention this because Christians get confused about divine healing. Does God still heal? If not, why not? If so, why doesn't he heal more often? Jesus and the apostles did not heal everyone they encountered. Healings seem more prevalent in the first century than they do today, but we can't be sure if that is even statistically true. Missionaries report many miraculous events, and I'm sure there are many that go unreported. God still heals in his sovereignty, Healing is for today, and it's for any day that God determines it would bring glory to him. And so, beginning again in verse 1, now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. The ninth hour of the Jewish day, the way they reckon time, would be hour 3 p.m. Peter and John went to the temple at the hour of prayer. While the priest offered incense in the holy place of the tabernacle, Jews gathered outside to pray. This idea of our prayer rising to God as incense, something that you should just meditate on from time to time. 
This morning, uh, actually it was first service during the last song, I just really had this sense and this picture almost in my mind of, you know, if we could see our breath, I'm not gonna make any jokes about that, but as we're singing before the Lord, if there were a way to see our breath and, and, and you know, how it would come together in this smoke or rising incense and, and ascend into heaven before the Lord as something beautiful and something precious, whether you can sing on key or, or not, uh, the Lord has a way of, of understanding those things and those who are not singing, who are maybe praying or groaning in their heart to the Lord, going through some difficulty or some tragedy and all of that just rising before the Lord. Not at so much an hour of prayer, but all the time rising before the Lord and he uh, being, in a sense, ministered to by it because he loves to hear from his children. It's a beautiful thing. Verse two says, and a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. In chapter four, we're gonna learn, as I mentioned, that this man was over 40 years old. Daily, he would be carried probably to the same spot. It was his territory, so to speak. Begging was his occupation. If, if you have any familiarity with panhandlers or beggars or, or this kind of a thing, you know that, that for periods of time, and maybe for long periods of time, certain areas, they're just, that's that guy's spot. We don't have as much panhandling and begging here in Kings County. There's some of it, but when I was in Southern California, uh, it, it's, it's, it's pretty prevalent, especially there in San Bernardino. It's kind of a crossroads of the railroad. Uh, you know, anywhere you want to go, you, you end up kind of in San Bernardino one way or the other. And, and there were certain individuals for long periods of time, would, would, that would be, you'd see them every day at the same time at that spot. Uh, you know, when certain things, movies were getting out or, or the shift change or whatever it was, that they would be there at that particular spot begging with a sign or just with their hand out or, or with their, uh, you know, container to receive alms and all. And so this was this man's situation, lame from birth, over 40 years old, every day carried there so that he could beg during the time of prayer. All the gates had names. This was the gate beautiful, the beautiful gate, the eastern gate. And there was the lame man positioned, as I mentioned, a sad contrast, sitting crippled in the shadow of a gate called beautiful. And in our shallowness, we might look at that. The unbeliever looks at that and says, how can, how can, something, how can God call something beautiful as you would enter into it and yet leave this man crippled outside? We're gonna see how. In verse three, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple asked for alms. He was a professional beggar and he was in his prime. Well, I mean, he's in his 40s, he's been begging his whole life. You know, if you beg every day, day in and day out, and this is your profession, you get good at it. He was in his prime. I believe he could identify people who were most likely to give him alms. You know, if you're a beggar and you've got a certain period of time in which to beg, the hour of prayer, people coming in, streaming in, you're not going to waste your time. This is, this is your time to earn your income. It therefore struck me odd that he would single out Peter and John. They were common fishermen by trade. They would not be wearing expensive clothing. 
they would not in any way look as if they had money to spare. In fact, Peter's going to say, I don't even have any money. And, and a, a, a professional beggar would pick up on this. He would sense this. And so I have to say that the Holy Spirit was with the beggar, leading him. I suggest also that there was something attractive about Peter and John, something spiritual that attracted him to them. Their countenance was such that this beggar was drawn to them. And so this is a spiritual appointment, a spiritual moment. The Holy Spirit who is in the world with unbelievers, seeking to what? Draw them to Jesus Christ. And the believers walking along, in a sense, minding their own business, but really minding the Lord's business, sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And as they pass by, all of this comes together in this amazing moment. And so we can trust that the Holy Spirit has gone ahead of us and is working in the hearts of individuals. Our part is to walk with the Lord in a way that produces a certain countenance that would make us attractive to other people. Not not in an outward way, although we don't want to be repulsive to other people outwardly, but it's an inward quality. It's 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 something that can't really be seen in a sense, but is, is understood as the Holy Spirit is using us in that way. All of the unbelievers you encounter are lame in a spiritual sense. They're excluded from worshiping God. They can't enter the beautiful gate because of their birth defects. And so were you until you encountered Jesus, probably through the personal ministry and testimony of another Christian. Somewhere along the line, somebody shared Jesus Christ with you. And most of us, it's, you know, there's, there's a person that we can look back at and say, yeah, that guy, that gal, that, that family member, they were the ones that, you know, maybe didn't lead me to Christ, but opened that door, sowed that seed, watered, whatever it would be. In these first three verses, we're learning to start seeing everyone we encounter as lame and ask the Lord to use us to bring spiritual healing into their lives. That's where we begin. Then in verses four through 10, you show people just how loving the Lord is. I wonder what this lame man thought about Jesus and his followers. Now this is pure speculation because we don't know, but we can speculate because we're all men and women of like passions. The Lord had done many miracles of healing. In chapter two, Peter had said to the Jews, that audience there, Every Jew knew that Jesus of Nazareth had gone about doing miraculous healings. They may not have believed in him. They didn't believe he was the son of God. They thought he had been crucified and was now off the scene. But it was common knowledge that he was going around healing people in a miraculous way, raising people from the dead. The apostles were doing many wonders and signs for days or weeks leading up to this. So if you're a crippled man, a lame man, carried every day to the gate, probably maybe you've seen Jesus, at least from a distance. You know who the apostles are. And yet no one is seeking you out. Those healings are not coming your way. You may have had some feelings about that. Regardless what the lame man may have thought or argued, 
Peter didn't get into a theological discussion with him. When he finally encountered him, he simply spoke about Jesus directly to the man's need. It's good advice to follow. We need to be able to give an answer to every man of the hope that is in us. There's a whole uh, field of Christianity and Christian theology, apologetics, where we give answers and we reason things out and we listen to the criticisms of skeptics and and answer the questions of, of people. And that's great. But when you're one-on-one with a person who is on their way to hell, it's really probably not, if you could resolve for them where Cain got his wife, that is not gonna be the thing where he says, oh, I understand that now, I wanna be saved. That's the one thing, man, that's the thing that's really kept me out of heaven. I don't know where Cain got his wife. Unfortunately, he had to marry one of his sisters, in case you're wondering. Adam and Eve had tons of kids. They only mentioned Cain and Abel, and uh, he married one of his sisters, and you think, ooh, yuck. Well, yes. <laughs> but, I mean, if you're gonna start, I mean, let's face it, if you're gonna start a race of people with two people, that's how that works. Anyway, back to our text. I didn't want to leave that question unanswered after I brought it up, which I didn't even mean to do. So anyway, and now I'm having that same senior moment I had last week. (laughs) Somebody brought me a senior's Bible this week, by the way, with senior devotionals in it, and uh, next week there'll be a moment of church discipline when we (laughs) ask that individual to please leave for dissing God's anointed. But anyway... No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Peter just spoke directly to his need. And, and, you know, if you want to answer people's questions, that's fine. But but quickly answer them and get back on track to the fact that here's a person who is distant from God, separated from God, born in trespasses and sins, who needs Jesus Christ to save them. And so in verse four, fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Mostly people don't stop and talk to beggars. They just drop their coins into a box. If you feel led to give a beggar money, I suggest that you spend time talking to him or her first. Some of you ladies, be careful doing this. Uh, you know, I'm not recommending that you do this alone, uh, but uh, talk to people. Find out where they're coming from and uh, share the Lord with them. Now, Peter spoke to him, getting his full attention, verse six. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Stop after he says, silver and gold I do not have. Silver and gold is what the lame man wanted and thought that he needed. It's all that he had ever really wanted and needed up to that point in his life. Lame mankind has ideas about what they want and think they need. For example, education and knowledge is touted as the solution to just about every need humanity has. I'm not talking about going to school, going to college, getting a good education, that's fine. Talking about the philosophy that we have that if there's a problem, 
We just need to know more about it, educate people about it, give them knowledge, and we will be able to overcome that as a race. If people only knew more about things like AIDS, for example, we would certainly be able to stop the worldwide epidemic. We know an awful lot about AIDS. And the people who are getting AIDS, many of them know an awful lot about AIDS and they still engage in the kinds of behaviors that put them at risk because it's not a thing of education and knowledge, it's a moral issue. There's a sense in which as a race, we are still reaching out to take from the tree of knowledge, thinking we can rule ourselves apart from a relationship with God. People don't want to associate with Adam and Eve, and I can understand that. Hey, they blew it, you know, they reached out when they should have obeyed God. But instead, this is what the human race continues to do. We're always reaching out for some knowledge, for some education, leaving God behind, thinking that we can overcome these things on our own, and we're actually in rebellion against God. And we, we repeat the mistake of our ancestors. Peter goes on and he says, but what I do have, I give you. Peter had something far more valuable to impart to the lame man. Spiritual resources are the things we truly need. Salvation, sanctification, and all of the resources that go with getting us from point A to point B, and then point B, glorification. To be absent from our bodies and present with the Lord forever in heaven. Those are the things that we really need. And they are available through Jesus Christ of Nazareth. By his grace and mercy, this lame man would rise up and walk. It is only through Jesus that mankind is enabled to rise up and walk with God. He alone is the rightful, risen, reigning Lord. There is no other way to resolve the problem of sin, to be born anew, to be on your way to heaven. In verse seven, and he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. Peter must have had a gift of faith. We'll talk about that several times probably in our trip through the book of Acts. Uh, you know, it, it, it's so hard. It, it, it almost, some of this stuff defies analysis. We like to analyze things and, and we like to have everything neat. And so is this a miracle of healing? Is it a gift of healing? Is it a gift of faith? I mean, what is it? I mean, you have to have some faith to reach out and pull somebody out of a wheelchair. I, I, I've never done that. God has to tell you to do that, and you have to believe that something's going to happen that isn't going to be embarrassing or criminal. Uh, and so, sure, there's faith here, and there's obviously a gift of healing. It's a miracle, and, and that's the whole thing. It's, it's, it's simpler than that. It's just God doing a work. It's, it's Peter. He's just walking around. He doesn't know what to do. He used to be a fisherman. Now he's a fisher of men. He's, he's given these amazing speeches. They're studying God's word, talking to people about Jesus. Now he's just going to pray, and the Holy Spirit says, hey, check out this guy. Why don't you grab him and pull him out of his bed and tell him he's going to walk in the name of Jesus. Okay. And he does it. Peter didn't think, okay, now Lord, is this, okay, I, I need to be clear on this. Is this a miracle? Are we talking miracle here or do I have the gift of faith or have I received a gift of healing? Uh, I need to know. 
It wasn't like that. We come back and we look at things and we tr- because we're trying to understand. And, and that's okay, except that we, as long as we mi- don't misunderstand the sense of the relationship with Jesus Christ. You're just walking with the Lord and him doing things in us and through us, and then you can talk about them later. And so he took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. How, remember, how many of you remember that song? Okay, we're gonna practice it next after second service and sing it for the congregation. The commentators all point out that these two verses are full with medical terminology. We don't recognize it because the words are just translated into common English, but for example, the word translated feet is only used by Luke and it discriminates between different parts of the feet. Here it really refers to the heel. Same with the words ankle bones. They are only found here in the Bible and they're a technical medical word that talks about a particular formation of the ankle bones which are connected to the shin bones and on up. (laughs) But you remember Luke was a physician. His testimony could be trusted. He is verifying that this is a bona fide healing. Not only was this man's body immediately healed, though, he could stand and walk and jump. He had never learned how to do these things. It's one thing to put his body back together, but he had never in his life walked, stood, leaped, and here he was now ready for ballet magnificat, (laughs) just doing pirouettes and all of those kinds of things. Hey, don't think this wasn't a beautiful thing. I mean, this this is a beautiful dance that he's doing. He didn't need physical therapy to help him with his healing. God healed him, and he was better than new. Now, we get stuck on the healing itself. I mean, it's just so fantastic that we we get stuck on it. The problem with that is that if you do, well, conservative commentators, they're gonna try uh, try hard to prove that miracles, wonders, and signs ceased after the apostles died. They get stuck on the healing and they think, you know, how come we don't see more of that and what we do see of it seems to be phony. And so... Maybe God might still heal today, but he doesn't do it very much because the apostles died and he needed more healings back in the first. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's the ticket. He needed to heal more people in the first century because he had to give them authority before the Bible was finished. And, And that's the argument, that healing kind of died out with the apostles. If you get stuck on the healing, you're gonna, uh, in the other dimension, the, then you become hyper-charismatic and you wanna duplicate miracles and signs and wonders just about in every meeting you have. You wanna be able to say that a miracle took place, that somebody was healed. And oftentimes, they revert to using fleshly means and methods uh, and, and they do some pretty awful stuff. The most exciting part of this healing is the last half of verse eight where Luke said the lame man entered the temple praising God. It wasn't that he could now walk. It was that he could now walk with God, leaping and jumping and praising God. 
For 40 years, he had been outside, an outcast. Now, in a moment, all that had changed, and his very first action was to approach the Lord for worship. It is to restore worship that we are saved to walk with God. It is to regain what was lost in the Garden of Eden when our parents chose badly. God has worked ever since in and through our history to save us that we might know him and worship him. Verse 9, and all the people saw him walking and praising God, and then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. The purpose of a miracle is to inspire wonder and amazement. Miracles are also signs. A sign points to something. A sign represents something. A sign imparts information. In this case, the sign pointed to Jesus Christ because it was in his name that this lame man was healed. The sign represented the fact that Jesus was alive and in heaven. He must be alive if Peter could heal in his name, and he must have heavenly authority to heal on the earth. The information the sign imparts is going to be the subject matter of Peter's spontaneous sermon the next time we get together. Peter and John did what Jesus had been doing before his crucifixion and ascension into heaven. They were continuing to do all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Jesus went around doing the will of his father, going into areas where the father sent him, not going into areas where the father didn't send him, encountering certain people that the Lord wanted to do a work in their life. Now, Peter and John were doing that. Instead of one Jesus, there were two. Peter and John, actually there were 12, and then there were 120, and there were 3,120 more every day. At the end of this, there are gonna be 5,000 more. All of them going around doing what Jesus began both to do and to teach all through the history of the world up until today with you and I. And so on the earth, Jesus is not without bodies to continue his work. He's not without members by which to speak and to touch people. It's us. Even heal people? Yes, if the Lord so desires. Now remember, when Jesus was on the earth, walking in the will of his father, he did not heal this man. Peter and John, walking in the Lord's will, were prompted and used to heal him. Whenever I think about healing, I, I really just seriously scratch my head and say, go figure. Because we, we, it's hard to get a handle on healing. Why God heals, when God heals, who God heals. And, and we do, we approach it wrongly, as I mentioned, and I wanna flesh that out just a little bit because healing is never the place to start when talking about healing. If you start there, you'll be drawn away from the central focus to one of those extreme positions I mentioned. If you start by trying to understand divine healing, you might be drawn towards the more conservative theology that tries so very hard to prove that healings were mostly for the first century and should not be expected today. If God wants to heal somebody, he will, but generally speaking, he's not going to. And so, you're not going to be expecting to encounter anybody that might be healed. Uh, you're not gonna have a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit if he wants to heal somebody and you don't believe anybody's gonna be healed. It's just as simple as that. And for these cessationists, 
people who believe that certain gifts of the Spirit and, and, and things have passed off the scene for some reason, for some logical reason or, or some other reason that they have come up with, they're, they, they're cessationists, and, and God fits neatly into a theological box. You can understand what he does, why he does it, when he does it, when he's not going to do it, and everything is all wrapped up nice and neat. And I, I can't believe that that is really the way the Lord wants to be understood. If you start by trying to understand divine healing, you might be drawn away towards a more hyper-charismatic theology that tries so very hard to replicate healings everywhere all the time. You, you just, okay, Lord, you know, I see you healed, and I, I can't prove that you don't heal, but I don't see you healing, so what's the deal? And you start into this kind of charismatic theology that starts to believe that, that there's something wrong with the church, there's something wrong in my heart, there's some sin or some technique I don't know, and, and we begin to analyze healing and, and, and study divine healing and, and start teaching people how to heal. About 10 years ago, there was a movement that swept through the church, and they were teaching people how to heal. I don't know how you can teach somebody something that's a gift that has to be given to you, but they were teaching. And they, they got so far into it that they were telling you how to hold your hands for certain types of healings. This was a back healing. You would get behind somebody with your hands in a certain angle and at a certain distance and pray in a certain way for their healing. Now, you know what happens. Some people don't get healed because you're trying to heal somebody. It's not that you had a sensitivity and that God put all this together. It's that you just are trying to heal somebody. And so people don't get healed. What, what happens then? Well, if, if God still wants to heal and you know all about healing, you're gonna have to say that there's something wrong with that person. That person must have sin or not enough faith. So now you've got, uh, let's take our guy here in our text. You've got a guy who's been crippled from birth. 40 years he's been begging. And you come up to him and say, take my hand, I'm gonna lift you up. And you lift him up and he falls down because his ankle bones don't get reconnected to his shin bones and his heel doesn't get healed and, and he falls down. Well, either you made a big spiritual boo-boo or you have to assume that there's something wrong with that guy that he's in so much sin that God won't heal him. God bless you. Not only are you lame from your mother's womb and you, know, you can't even be healed because you're such a sinner. I mean, this is what it leads to. I've seen on television some awful healings. Just I mean, the worst healing I ever saw on television. He wanted to heal somebody that was deaf. I sense that somebody is deaf. And so they bring this young boy couldn't tell exactly how old he was because it's clear that he had some birth defects. I'm gonna say he was in his teen years. He, you know, just wasn't average looking, had a speech impediment, gigantic uh, uh, hearing aids. Okay, so I guess he's not really deaf deaf. I mean, he's legally deaf, but he's not deaf. So here he comes, and the, the evangelist I think it was Peter Popov. Prays for him that he'd be healed. He goes backwards, you know, being slain by the Spirit. And then they said, are you healed? Are you healed? Are you healed? And the young man, yeah, I'm healed. 
So apparently they healed his hearing, even though he still had his hearing aids on, but they didn't heal his speech impediment or anything else about him. And the entire audience, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. I don't know what was going on there, but it wasn't God. It, it was awful. It was tragic. It makes you want to cry. And so healing is not the place to start. Start by simply seeing everyone you encounter who is not a believer as lame. See them spiritually the way God sees them. They're beggars outside who cannot come in and worship the Lord without help. Jesus is the beautiful gate through which the lame may come and be healed spiritually. Healing is not the place to start. The healer is the place to start. He is our central focus. Reveal him, let him determine when and where miracles and signs and wonders will follow. It's not up to us. Our part is to develop a sensitivity to the leading of the indwelling Holy Spirit. And that's something that all of us really need to work on. All of us need to pray today and say, Lord, you know, today, tomorrow, sometime this week, I wanna have you speak to me about somebody. Maybe a random encounter, maybe somebody I already know and say, hey, Lord, you know, Gene, go up to that person or just, you know, go over here. And then do what the Lord tells you to do. And when the Lord's not doing that, we want to be walking with him in such a manner that our countenance will be one that will draw people to us when God does speak to us. We have that, that same mix that Peter had. Peter and John walking with the Lord, just going about their day, shining with the glory of God in a spiritual dimension. The Holy Spirit with this cripple pointing them out to him and then coming together in that moment, changing his life for eternity. Sure, for time, I mean, it was cool, I bet, to walk and leap, and I, I bet he, I, I, you know, his name translates Arthur, into Arthur Murray, you know, is, or, probably. I mean, he probably taught dance lessons after that. I mean, this guy was into it. But more than that, it's, it's the spiritual healing. And that's not a cop-out. I mean, you know, people say, well, God still heals today. He heals spiritually, brother. Well, yeah. I mean, that's pretty great that people who are on their way to hell are set for heaven. Would we like him to heal physically as well? Sure. But we just need to leave it with the Lord. Hezekiah wanted to be healed. In the Old Testament, he was bummed. God, Isaiah comes to him and says, you're gonna die. You got so much time. Oh, please, oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, I'll give you 15 more years. And then Hezekiah made some terrible mistakes in those 15 years. Didn't turn away from the Lord, but it wasn't good. And so let's just leave all that with the Lord. Let's just share Christ with people. He can heal you for eternity. You may still die. You may be left crippled. You may not. That's up to the Lord. But one day you'll be absent from your body and present with the Lord. One day the trumpet will sound and we'll be caught up, changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye and forever together be with the Lord. Let's pray. 
Father, we do thank you for these things. Help us never to get sidetracked, Lord, on things that are secondary. Seems odd sometimes to call healing a secondary thing, but it is compared to who you are as the healer. You know men's hearts. You know men's minds. You know when, where, who, how you want to heal. It's not up to us, Lord. We're just your members. You're the head. We're, we're the body. We're your hands and feet and mouth, as it were. What we need to focus on is not healing people, but just on people, uh, on being sensitive so that your Holy Spirit can tell us who to go talk to, who to approach. And when we're not being used in that way, Lord, just spending time with you, loving you, and being loved by you so that our very spiritual countenance is drawing people to us or at least not repelling them. Do all these things, Lord. I pray that as we go through the book of Acts, we would understand how very, very simple these things are, how we have complicated them in our desire to make them more simple. May we strip away layers of misunderstanding and see, Lord, that it's really still as it always was. It's about you. You are the one who has come in the volume of the book. It is all written about you. It's your love and grace and mercy that men and women must see, that must flood and fill their hearts, that must draw them to you. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's please stand together. You're going to need some physical strength for this spiritual work, and so grab a burrito. Of course, you might be out of commission for the rest of the afternoon if you, this thing's massive. So good to be together. I love our fellowship, uh, one with another whenever we meet. May God bless you richly, is my prayer. Some of the men will be here, as always, in the front of the church to pray for you or with you. Uh, whatever's on your heart, come and bring it before the Lord and share that. May God bless you. Amen.